This is Matt Hayes with Saturday Down South, and I want to tell you about a new podcast we're launching. Saturday Lives Forever is dedicated to the iconic players and moments of college football. Those unforgettable moments where you remember where you were when you watched it. Season one of Saturday Lives Forever is coming soon, but subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode. Search for Saturday Lives Forever in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're obsessed like us with college football and can't get enough of reliving fall Saturdays, you're going to love this new show. Hey everybody, welcome back to College Football Uncensored. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, the other host of this show, Chris Marler, Chris, the other host, I've made it. <laughs> you sabotaged me in the last episode. So yeah, well, you've done that every time that we've had an intro so far, so you can suck it. <laughs> um, we are back with more previews. We're rifling through them this week. We know the season's coming up on us quickly. Hey, we're in week zero right now, by the way. Yeah. This is there are games this weekend. Now, if you're in Nebraska, yeah. Illinois, this weekend is for you. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I wouldn't like Nebraska. I think CFB home tweeted this the other day and they were like, here are Scott Frost's 15 biggest wins at Nebraska. And it was like one through 13, 15, like you can't have more than that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've just never really understood. I mean, I know Nebraska fans are like very uh, passionate and they, you know, they like sold out a spring game. They've like 84,000 people there. Like there's nothing else going on in that state. Um, so I get it. Like they really love football, but like also I didn't realize how, and I, we were, we also make an announcement that we're going to start talking about more teams than just the SEC. That's true. Um, we are. Yeah. But we're going to uh, finish the week the off. Boss, man. We're going to finish the week off with the SEC previews. And then when the yep. season starts, we'll get into uh more national stuff. Speaking of that. Yeah, well, I mean, next week. Hold on. I want to tell you about how, how shitty of a program Nebraska was. I didn't realize oh. how awful they were. They were you know, that like Tom Osborne used to like hold their guns, like the players' guns. If there was like, and yeah. And like, and like what? the cops were all out. Yeah. There's Jeff told me this and he never lies. So um, I don't have, I don't have all the info in front of me. So I don't want to sound like a total asshole, but there My were. friend were Jeff awful. knows a guy that knows someone else. Well, I mean, he grew up in St. Louis, which is like pretty close to Nebraska, dude. That's so, true. That's a great point. It's also articles about it. Whatever. Anyway, the plan is this. We are going to finish up what I have now dubbed preview procrastination week because found out yesterday after just writing stuff down and looking at a schedule, um, which we probably should have done at the beginning of this, this uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, undertaking. Uh, there's eight teams we have to cover still this week. So we're going to do four pods. And then starting next week, we'll do a preview of the actual full college football landscape, all the other conferences, um, I guess even the Pac-12. And then Thursday, I mean, that'll be week one, man. Going over bets, we got to really get in some game. Game time. Yeah. Speaking of which, got the uh, go-ahead today from the wifey to go down to Tallahassee for the Notre Dame Florida State game opening weekend. So excited about that. Excited to experience a a loss there. I <laughs> not actually confident. not confident, Chris. 
No, you shouldn't be. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed. I don't want to like, I know it's your favorite team. So I don't want to like shit on you for that, this decision. However, yeah. Mickey Sherman, one of my favorite uh, people and, and listeners of the pod, um, good friend of mine. He said we could go like, like, you know, I think he knows I've had a couple of rough weeks here. Yeah. So he invited us down. We got a free place to stay, free tickets, and then our 50 yard line, 20 rows up to any Love LSU it. game we want to. Any, I swear to God, if you can't go to the LSU thing because you went to fucking Tallahassee to watch you guys get curb stomped by a bunch of Catholics, I'm going to be pretty upset with you. We'll see what we can do, Chris. You know, it's just, uh, I'd like to make it that that is on the bucket list for I, I already I know you all know I already know this is not gonna happen. I can just I can tell that. All right, so let's get into the to the episode here. Hold on. I have an announcement too, dickhead. Jeez. Oh, you do? Yeah. Actually, the first thing that I feel like like, like a big pick me up that I needed after I mean, we're about to do a breakup episode here because it's gonna be going over two of my least favorite things in the world, Tennessee and Auburn. I needed a pick me up after the way the last couple weeks have gone. Your boy got credentialed for the Miami Bama game. What? Yeah. You, you decided to... I get to go on the field. Yeah, but you can't remember you can't show allegiance when you're in the press box. Well, it better not be a close game. <laughs> I can also leave the press box, I guess. I mean, um, anyway, yeah, but That's I'm, I'm cool. excited about that. Yeah, it should be awesome. How come you didn't get me credentialed? I actually applied for you, dickhead. I, I, you're also going on radio tomorrow. That's true. Yeah. I am. I'm living in shout a, out a basement, the second one in a month. So shut up. <laughs> okay. So no one take offense that Tennessee and Auburn are paired tonight. There's no rhyme or reason for it. We actually had planned to do potentially Alabama Auburn because that is a rivalry, but mm-hmm. our guest for Alabama had to delay for a little bit. So we're going to, Chris and I are going to cover Tennessee. Um, I don't know how many people are going to be jazzed up about Chris covering Tennessee. Being the expert oh, on Tennessee? They're, they're going to love it. They've been waiting for this for years. So let's get into it real fast because we, we got a, a special guest coming up for Auburn. Um, three and seven last year, Tennessee. Not great. Ran Pruitt right off after the McDonald's fiasco. Brought in Josh Heupel to spark an offense that quite literally has just been miserable to watch. Um, dead last in the SEC and converting third downs. 11th in total offense. 12th in scoring. Keep in mind first in quarterbacks played. True. Keep in mind in today's game, it's a very offensive minded game. Tennessee scored their offense, scored more than 19 points once in the final seven games last year. And that was against Vandy. They yeah, they had boat race Vandy, didn't they? Okay. They had lost three of the previous four going into that game. Just want to point that out as well. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, they, they did. So an offense putting up less than 19 points in six of your final seven games is not ideal. So they move on. I think they, they find a scapegoat to get rid of Pruitt, which is the McDonald's bags. Um, then they lose a ton of players in the portal. They got a bunch the to most come in, in the country. Yes. It's, it says 25. I, I looked it up again. I'm almost confident that it was like 32 or 33 at one point this summer. It's crazy, but here we are. I think this year, if you're a Tennessee fan, I don't think you can expect much. It's wasn't a great year last year. Hypo doesn't exactly take over a team that's like chomping at the bit uh, to uh, 
make up for the for the losses last year, considering it's mostly not the same team as last year. So oh, you're on, just starting over with a bunch of random guys. Okay, first off, that's not true. They're starting oh, off with definitely true. Okay, you know what? I didn't think I was going to be the positive one on this fucking episode with with Auburn and Tennessee, but here we are, um, right off the bat. So I don't think it's such a bunch of random guys. And, and I was going to say this for later, but there's a reason Vegas has them at six wins. That's pretty shocking compared, like, you know, considering what we all thought it would, it would probably be. Um, the offense is terrible. What's even more, like, like, pathetic and embarrassing about that is you rotated five quarterbacks at, at like, times during the games last year. Like in games where you played multiple quarterbacks, you you went zero and seven. You scored an average of fifteen points per game in in those seven losses. Um, and in the last two years, when you had Jeremy Pruitt, who obviously is a defensive coach, but you went you had ten returning starters in twenty nineteen. You had eight returning starters on, on this on offense in twenty twenty. You put up twenty four points a game and, and three hundred sixty six yards per game in. Uh, in what do you call it, uh, 2019. And in 2020, you put up 21 points per game and 346 years. That is awful. And you, I get that like, yes, it's going to be a lot of new faces. But if you look at even the quarterback room, at least there you have like Joe Milton from, it's transferred from Michigan, who at least physically he looks the part. Hendon Hooker uh, from Virginia Tech. Don't roll your eyes at me, okay? I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be talking positive about Tennessee. And then you also have uh, Harrison Bailey. Harrison Bailey, who's a four-star, top 100 guy. Um, I don't think the coverage bear or Vegas wouldn't have put it at six wins. Their schedule is also extremely easy compared to most SEC teams. They should be favored in five games, which is fucking shocking. Yeah. So it sounds like, and we don't have a Tennessee insider on today, but I from what I've gathered from listening to various podcasts, reading various articles, Joe Milton might be the guy this mm-hmm. year. Um, he Obviously, you mentioned he comes in from Michigan. The offense is built for quarterbacks that have a big arm that can throw it down the field. Uh, Milton has the biggest arm for sure. He's not very accurate, though. No. So, you know, you can get excited about how far he can throw the ball, but you got to actually complete the passes. So, but he seems to be the guy that, that fits what Hypo wants to do for getting the ball down the field. So from all that I've read, and you correct me if you've seen something different, it seems like oh, Will's going to be the guy. Oh. I mean, I was going to get some more tea, but I, I, I think that that will end up being the case. What, what I, more than anything, like there are a lot of negatives to look at for Tennessee, for sure, right? But when you made the hire, like there, for whatever reason, there was like this stretch over the last, like, I don't know, three, four, five years where everyone tried to, find a saving disciple, which backfired, I feel like almost everywhere besides what Georgia and maybe A&M mm-hmm. like, like in, in those, well, besides Kirby, like Jimbo wasn't hired because he coached under Saban. much chance a thousand percent was at different places. And, and uh, Jeremy Pruitt definitely was as well, but like that offense was fucking awful. I mean, like they had, I feel like that Kentucky game, they had at least two pick sixes. Jerry Garantano threw, several of like, like not just interceptions, but like pick sixes. And also fun fact, his first uh, pass in the spring game, not Washington state with a pick six. <laughs> but like, if you're a Tennessee fan and you look at over the past several years that you want to look at the highlights, Lane Kiffin, um, just abandoning you like in the middle of the night, uh, the butt chugging incident, which we will get to later for sure. Butch Davis and all of his um, motivational quotes and, and trash cans. 
Derek Dooley, who sat on a bar stool at one time during an actual fucking game. And then you have Jerry Pruitt, you lose to Georgia State. It's been awful. But at least now, and it like it's not gonna be overnight success, but like what they'll get on offense with Josh Eichel should be more fun. Like at the yeah. very least, it should be more fun. And and you look at like what, what Hypo will run. I don't even know what you would say what type of offense Jeremy Pruitt ran last year because he didn't really run one. It was fucking terrible, right? I mean, like, but but you look at Hypo, he runs, uh, I think it's called like the Veer and Shoots. It's like an Art Brile type offense. But the numbers he's put up, you brought up like the 19 points, right? Once in the last seven games. In three years at UCF, Hypo's offense has scored less than 30 points just three times. Um, so then you look at like going back when he was, you know, at the OC in, uh, at Mizzou, Drew Locke sets like an SEC record at the time with 44 touchdowns, has almost 4,000 yards passing, and he had a 1,000 yard rusher. Um, I, I feel like the numbers are going to be a little bit different. At, at, as the OC at Mizzou, they finished eighth and 13th in, in total yards per game. Um, six in yards per play, like the numbers are going to be inflated because in the past three years at UCF, I mean, he's not playing a, that difficult of a schedule, but they ranked inside the top four nationally in, in yards per game all three years he was there. Top four. At the very least, you're going to have something more exciting than what you've had in the last three years or 10 years, or maybe, I don't know, since that rat Philip Fulmer was there. Yeah, and some of it is you can't look at total offense numbers because he runs uh, – Heupel's offense is going to be one of the fastest in the country. They try to run as many yeah. plays as they can. So you're inevitably going to get a lot more plays, which should lead to more yards if you're executing. Um, but they've had a very efficient offense at UCF. Um, it it does seem as though Heupel came in after Frost, who had built a national championship team. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I wait, what? I just got that. Okay, don't do this <laughs> I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I think UCF record wise got worse every single year after Hypo took over. They did. Yeah. So that's kind of concerning. Um, but I think you just got to be willing if you're a Vols fan to give Hypo a chance to get his guys in there. Like we said, he's already, you're, you're piecemealing things together right now until you can actually have a cycle to recruit. So you're bringing in right. Milton, you're bringing in Hinton Hooker. Um, you had so much talent go through the portal. I mean, Ty Chandler, Eric Gray, three, two of your best. Mostly all your good players. Yeah, yeah. Josh Palmer's gone. Uh, Trey Smith is gone to the NFL. Wanye Morris, Jameer Johnson on the O-line transferred. So there's a lot that isn't there this year. I don't think it'd be fair to judge Hypo for the future on this year, but they still got to play the games. And there is a relatively easy schedule. I mean, you actually open the season with, I don't know if you'll be favored against Pitt potentially, probably because it's at home, but maybe three, and zero. Yeah. And in all three games are at home. I think the Pitt game, I don't see them being favored, but if yeah. they're going to be favored in five, go in the math, Vandy, South Alabama, Tennessee tech. Well, yeah. So I guess it is that game as well. I mean, either way, if, if, like I've said this like jokingly in the past and I, I Kind of mean it. Like if you're if you're Josh Heupel, you almost want to avoid like going on a run and getting like expectations and hopes up. Like, bro, like just stay under the six wins. I know that sounds crazy in Tennessee. You want to win right now, but my God, that's going to set like just unrealistic expectations. I think in that fan base, just you know, knowing how we all are and, and SEC fans. 
But if you win those first three games, you lo- you're, you're not going to beat Florida, right? Like, that's going to be tough. And, and some of these numbers, when you look at just how bad the program's been, and I don't want to, you know, like pour salt in the wound, but 0-37 in their last 37 games against top 10 teams. I think only a handful have been within single digits. I think they're 2-14 and 14, their last uh, 16 SEC openers. They've lost like 14 straight to Bama. Like they're like one and 15 in their last 16 against uh, against Florida. Kentucky, who was supposed to be good this year, even when they had the 10 wins, right in 2018, Tennessee waxed them. So I would I just wouldn't rule out that they could still get like an upset. I don't think this is like a, a year where they're going to be like Arkansas after Chad Morris, where like or Arkansas with Chad Morris, where you just like all right, listen. Chalk everything up as a loss. We should get to the, the next recruiting cycle and, and build from there. You still have Cade Mays. You still have Darnell Wright, like, you know, former four and five stars. Um, what another concern on top of the transfer portal? They only have 12 returning starters, and they're ranked last in the SEC and 125th in the country in returning experience, according to Phil Steele. Yeah, and I mean, as much as they lost, they didn't lose as much on the defensive side, but um, as they did on the offensive side. But they got crushed at the linebacker position in the portal. I mean, yeah. you had three talented guys. Two o two o. Am I on that? Is that o to o to o to o to Bama, Quaveris Couch to Michigan State, DeAndre Johnson to Miami. Two other guys also left in the portal to make a total of five. So. Their leading returning tackler, Jeremy Banks, has 38 career tackles. Again, it's going to be a difficult year. Um, Where they may have some hope is the other two aspects of the defense. They they moved to a four-man front this year. Defensive line should be the strength of the team. Their top eight D-linemen return, um, including three super seniors. So you're going to have some veteran leadership along the lines. On the back end, Alante Taylor is possibly the best player on the team. Um, but he leads a unit that only only loses Bryce Thompson. So they have some returning experience on the back end as well. But right. man, that linebacker position, like it's so bad. They, they did bring in Texas's leading tackler last year, Juwan Mitchell through the portal. But I, man, it's just, they lost so much uh, experience off this team. I mean, uh, you know, you go back to the offense at, at running back, like they brought in this Juco kid they got Jabari small. Like I just don't see where there's playmakers on offense. And then on defense, you know, they were a sieve last year. Um, it's going to be tough, you know, and, and I know the over under six, I guess. I mean, they lost a lot of, at the skill position. You're right. But, but, I, yeah. but what I will say is that like, yeah, I don't, I don't know who the playmakers are going to be. I mean, you have like Vilas Jones uh, who at least looks, well, I mean, like from like the reports in camp, I feel like has been pretty good. They're expecting big things out of him. They've been high on a couple of freshmen. I mean, like Heupel's at least sounded positive about like the quarterbacks as well. We don't know who the playmakers are going to be, but also like you just said, you know, you, you were saying it's, it's going to be a bunch of random guys. Like just because we don't know their names doesn't mean yeah. by like season's in, we won't have like in this offense, I would be hard pressed to think that, that someone doesn't put up numbers. I mean, every, every stop everywhere he's been, and like, listen, if you don't want to use the UCF sets, you think those could be skewed at the A, they're playing the AAT. Like what he did at Mizzou, you know, like, like Drew Locke set those, uh, put those numbers up in the same year that Tua, Joe Burrow, um, Felipe Franks, the best quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, all were in the same, same conference. So I, I, somebody, it's, it's like, it's almost like Mike Leach, right? Like 
someone's going to put up numbers regardless of, of like, you know, how highly of a recruit they were. I just don't see everyone being mediocre across the board. Yeah. And, and his offense has, they just, every year there's a thousand yard receiver. So I just don't know who it's going to be. I, I, you know, there's a lot of talent that's gone. So let's, let's pop over unless you got something else. Let's pop over to the, to look at the schedule and, and try to make, make odds and ends of this over under of six. Um, the over, the, the over, the over is even money and the under is minus one forty. So the juice, more money has come in on the under six. Um, I've been going first every time, so I'll let you. I'll let you start. I'm trying to be positive about this because I, I, you know, Tennessee fans are the worst on Twitter, hands down. Right? They try to get me fired multiple times. They are passionate, and and I, I'll I probably wouldn't say this if, if they were playing against my favorite team, like the day of. Their fans deserve better than what they've been getting. Just bottom line, right? I. I think that the future is at least brighter with Hypel than it was with, with, uh, than Jerry Pruitt. I don't know what that means, but it's gotta be brighter than what it was. I'm going to take the under and, and there's, there's nothing that's been more confusing to me. I think the Vegas has thrown out there this year than this line, because I honestly, I thought like that they would be, I don't, I mean, I don't know, like at four tops. I mean, like three, they were three and seven last year. They like, you know, they were a bowl team the year before, but, but you're talking about three losing seasons in the last four years, and, and you lost all that to the transfer portal. I'm going to take the under, but, like, I, I'm as confident as, as, like, I would feel like, like just on the surface level on this, I probably wouldn't touch this line. Like, I don't think I would put money on this. Yeah, I, I think it very well could be a push, but if you look at the schedule – even if you start 3-0, which I think the pit game is going to be tough, but let's say they beat Bowling Green, Pitt, and Tennessee Tech. You look down at the very end of the schedule, South Alabama seems like a win. Vandy, potentially, although it not, hasn't always been in the past. Let's say you win all those. You still have to win two more to hit the over. Yeah. You've got at Florida, at Missouri, Ole Miss, at Bama, at Kentucky, Georgia, South Carolina. Out of that, I see potentially one South Carolina at home. And if we could have recorded the South Carolina preview before or after Doty got injured, I think we probably would have gone under both of us on that win total. So maybe it looks a little different. Right. I just don't see, I could see potentially a push, but everything's going to have to go right for that, in my opinion. So I, I think it's five and seven is definitely more likely than seven and five. So I'm going to go under as well. So, yeah, that's um, fair. I mean, I think, I think looking at like you said, going through the schedule, I don't know, what does Pitt have returning? I mean, we can look at it. I, I just, why is it a six? Why would Vegas, I like, I want to talk to somebody. Like, I want to see a manager about this. Why, well, why do you think that is? Like, like being objective and trying to be fair. Why, why do you think that is? I think your five easiest games are all at home. So they're just mm-hmm. saying, okay, just win one. Uh, you know, South Carolina could be that one. But Bowling Green Pit, Tennessee Tech, South Alabama, Vandy are all at home. So I think... Vegas is probably saying you should take care of those teams at home. And then you've got South Carolina there at home as well. But I mean, I don't think there's any chance you're beating Florida on the road, Georgia at home, Bama on the road and Ole Miss at, at home. So you have to hope you can win yeah. at Missouri. I mean, that doesn't seem likely or at, at Kentucky doesn't seem likely to me either. There's so, one there, two of the last three there. Just saying. 
It's true. I just think with the, with the lack of experience on this team, um, starting experience and the lack of playmakers, it seems like legitimately every single one of their best players have left the team outside of, you know, Cade Mays, Darnell Wright yeah. and Alante Taylor. So oh, the other point too is, and this is like, this isn't for win total. This is like just odds to win the SEC. We put this up, this graphic up last night from DraftKings. Their odds are plus 7,500, which doesn't seem like off base at all. It seems about accurate, right? It's mm-hmm. in the conference 10th. It's, it's right ahead of Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina. Yeah, and Vanderbilt. They're behind Kentucky and Mizzou by like a significant amount. So I just think, listen, it's year one. You just rarely see, like if they had a bunch of guys returning and we saw something like that where you're, like, you're walking into, like you said, uh, a Scott Frost uh, national championship squad. If, if you're, um, what's his name, Josh Heupel, it makes sense. But with the amount of t- uh, people they lost, I, I, I would have a hard time believing that this year. Well, we got to end on something positive for Tennessee, though. This is tough. Well, I think you can, I mean, you can take solace in the fact that uh, Heupel does seem to put up um, numbers everywhere he's been. And so I don't think this year is really going to be a reflection on his future at Tennessee. No. Um, I think Tennessee fans are going to have to be patient, which I don't know that that's possible. They're really good about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think if, if you give time again, we're talking about um, a first year coach here. So if you can give him time to, to get his guys in his system, you know, you could, you could at least look at something in the same vein, maybe not as potent as an old Miss where the, the offense is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. The defense mm-hmm. may need some work, but with a little tweaks here and there, you, you could, you could knock off some, a, a team that you're not supposed to beat. And that's where you start. And, and then you hope that Hypo builds on that, learns the conference, brings in some guys that know the league that can recruit playmakers to Tennessee and, and you get it turned around. I, I don't think that that's impossible. And I don't think that that's no. even, super unlikely. I mean, I think he's, he's got the pedigree to at least make it work, but I just don't think this year's going to be the year. All right. Let's talk about something else real quick before we sign off. Um, Like what are the, why don't you say one positive thing about Tennessee's program? Their baseball team was good this year. They played in the high school field, but it was good. Um, But that's not about their football program. Peyton Manning got in the NFL hall of fame. That's that true. Something. He also has a um, really weird television show where his brother Cooper is just standing on the side. I don't know why he's on the show. Have you seen this? That's kind of like a metaphor for how he lived his whole life, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Peyton Manning's also going to be in the booth for like a secondary thing of Monday Night Football. So that's yeah. good. Um, we got to talk about the butt checking thing because I'll never let it go. Okay. Ever. If you guys don't know this story, it's one of my favorite things ever. It, um, about, I guess, eight years ago, eight, I, I, around then, a Has it couple been that of long? Tennessee, well, I, it's, I've been telling this on stage is like my favorite bit for like eight years. And it's really, I mean, it's been two Olympiads. I got to let it go and get some new material, but like four students um, got in trouble because they were giving each other alcohol enemas with Franzia, which I, first off, I don't even know why they got in trouble because I mean, it's, it's stupid and gross and disgusting, but like, Hey, like live your it's life. It's embarrassing. Dude. It's very embarrassing. Um, what's more embarrassing, Tyler, is what, what they, I mean, an alcohol enema. They were putting a funnel up their up their butts, and and then filling it with box wine. There's so many things you could have done to at least make, like, if you were already going to put something in your butt, like make it nice. You know what I mean? 
it just it, that that always rubbed me the wrong way. But the most embarrassing part wasn't even that part, like with like you know the alcohol enemas. It's the fact that their only excuse was that they they just wanted to get drunk faster. And I don't know what kind of fucking time constraints these guys could have been on where that was ever a reasonable idea, but it was, and they did it. Um, you know, and just a power hour in your buttholes. Maybe we'll do it this year. I don't know. Maybe somebody, we're going to set up that, that, uh, that voicemail or that Google, yeah. Google voice line. That's going to be fun. In. If anyone wants to do it, you could definitely get a free sticker. Um, please report back because we do want to take part in more traditions around the SEC. Yeah. I don't want to be a part of that one, but yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to be our Tennessee preview. Sorry. We couldn't get a guest on. We had to, we had to figure this out. Um, so our next team that we're going to be previewing is Auburn and we will be bringing on a special guest here in just one moment. All right. We are now joined by someone that I think 15 year old Chris probably hated. Um, and still kind of feel that way right now, looking at just the shirt and the hat, but also one of my favorite people to watch on TV for one and break down offensive line play and games in general. One of the best social media followers too, low key Cole Kublik. How are you, man? You tweeted me less than a week ago that you hated me. So why <laughs> you brought up the 2000 iron bowl. Well, I just, why, why are you trying to back out of it now? Just own it. I mean, I don't, I don't hate you, but I, I, I will say that I told Tyler before and I was like, we're going to at some point talk about the 2000 Iron Bowl. It's my least favorite game of all time. And it was like Cole's like one of his favorite. Um, that's fine. I don't really hate you. I meant it out of love. It is kind of weird how people get mad about the fact that I, I like that game. And that like some, some guy was like, congratulations, Cole. You, you beat a three and eight Alabama team. Uh, it was my senior ago. year. It was my senior year. It was the first game that I started that year. Uh-huh. And it was the first Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa in 100 years. Like, yeah, yeah dude, it meant a little bit. It meant something. So sorry that uh, it still hurts your feelings, but it will always mean a lot to me. So, yeah. I mean, to be Favorite fair. Favorite game ever. One of, one of the reasons, like all of my issues with that game have nothing to do with you. They're strictly on Mike Dubose. And I don't even remember who was playing quarterback at that point or what was it. It was just a tough, tough season. And you know, we, we, my dad made this go because it was, like you said, the first time they'd ever played it in Tuscaloosa in like 100 years. And I was like, Dad, do you really think it's a good idea? It's a lot of driving. And it was rainy. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. Yeah, um, it, was, it, it wasn't the driving that made it bad. It was, the, it was like just one degree colder than snowing weather which made yeah. it sleep the entire game, which was just, again, if I wouldn't have been playing football, I wouldn't have wanted to have been there, but it was a beautiful thing to be a part of if you were on the field. That's fair. Um, all right. We'll transition out of that nightmare and terrible memory for me. And, uh, and we'll we're going to talk about uh, Jim Layert's game. Jim Layert's in the world. <laughs> Why are you doing this? 96? You know, Cole, you know that was the same day Bama lost to Tennessee for like like the eighth straight year under – you know what? I don't, why did we even agree to do this? I did not, but I'm glad that you've now made me aware of that so I can use it moving forward. And you better believe I will. <laughs> I really, we should have done this weeks ago when the Red Sox were not um, absolutely shooting the bed as they are right now because then I would have felt more confident. But now we're just going to talk about – you know, we're going to strictly talk about Bo Nix and the COVID situation and Hatgate. So I feel better about everything. Um, no, all jokes aside, we do want to start with uh, with Brian Harson because you know I'm a Bama fan, and you 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 know like, but objectively looking at 
the season ahead and having this new coach and like where the program's headed. One, Harson seems unbelievably confident, just like a very confident individual. And everyone that has like talked about what they expect out of him and, and all people that are smarter than me, you, Greg McElroy, you know, most people on the internet, um, have nothing but rave reviews about Harson. You're, you're making a, a bunch of new developments and, and um, some of the facilities that look incredible, like a spaceship actually. What is the mood in Auburn right now with this new coach and looking uh, ahead to the 2021 season? I, I think a lot of it depends on, on who you ask and where they are. If you're talking about guys that are, that are in pads preparing for a season, I think the level of confidence is, is positive. I think I, we say buy-in, but I, I kind of hate saying that right now because we, we can sort of gauge it and we can ask about it and we can take little bitty sample sizes and say, oh, yeah, we believe that's happening, but we're not going to really know about buy-in really this is with any team this is not just a coach but any individual right. team any year until i don't know a quarter of the way through the season i mean did we did we think that mississippi state was bought in after one game last week last year right. and then uh, i mean all of a sudden it, the buy-in didn't look the same so I, I gotta see about four or five games before i can say okay these kids are bought in or they're not bought in i do believe that the work ethic has been there um I believe that, that the guys are, are, are trying to do things the right way. They want a successful season. They believe in what the coaches are attempting mm -hmm. to teach them, preach to them, coach to them, the techniques, the fundamentals, the system, the scheme. And, and they got some good guys in there. I mean, if you've, if you've been around guys like Derek Mason, you, you know that his personality are, are one that's easy to get along with. Cornelius Williams, a guy that's easy to get along with. They're, they're coaches that you would like to play for. And there are some guys like Mike Bobo who are hard to play for, but they're good coaches at, at the same time. Like it, it might not be as enjoyable as some other guys. Like I used to always be jealous of the tight ends that were playing for little train James. Like he looked like the coolest dude ever to play with, but I don't know if technically he was as good of a coach as Rick Trickett was, but he was a hell of a lot more fun. Those guys are over there, you know, playing tag in practice. We're going through the shoot for the 700th time. So, I mean, it's, it, it just depends, but I, I do think he's got a good staff. I think they relate well to the players. I think the players, as much as they can at this point are buying in. So the confidence level is pretty high. There's the reality is Chris, there's, they're still just not where they need to be mm -hmm. from a roster standpoint. And that includes depth and that includes top end talent in certain areas and experience in certain areas. So, I think there are other people around the program. I think there are people that cover the program that probably aren't as confident. But I think, too, that depends on the context in which you're answering the question. Not so much asking, but answering. Are you, asking, are you answering about this year? Are you answering about the first three games? Or are you answering about the next three years? Because I think when you hear Greg talk about them, Greg's not telling you what he thinks, what he expects to happen against LSU this year or Penn State this year. He, he's talking about if the guy's given a legitimate shot for two to five years that he thinks he's going to be able to get it right. And he thinks that he'll put a good product on the field. I feel the same way. Uh, I think that once they're able to get a few more guys in, that's what they want to do a little bit more, build some depth and talent in certain spots on the team. I think he can absolutely get it right. I mean, I've seen him do it. I know what he's about. I know, I know his level of focus and attention and, you know, people had fun with it and got mad about it, but whatever the new uh, website is that the guys are, are going crazy about takes my quote from media day and makes a graphic out of it. And essentially I was asked about his personality. And right. my answer after being asked was, 
that if you're just talking about their, have their makeup, their DNA, I think he's as close as there is to Saban in the league. I'm not going to back off of it now. I mean, are we going to, are we putting Sam Pittman there? Are we putting Eli Drinkwitz there? Are we putting Lane Kiffin there? Like, is Dan Mullen there? Is Shane Beamer there? Like, who, who's next? Right. Maybe Clark Lee. Like, Jimbo's not that guy. Like, I mean, Jimbo's a great football coach. But he – I mean, people think just because Kirby worked for Nick that, like, they're cut out the exact same way. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not the same person. So, that was all I meant is just that the, the focus, the determination – the the organization, the way in which they carry themselves, the business-like approach, that no no nonsense, no BS approach. That you know sometimes that may work against him in recruiting, where Dan's attitude and demeanor it works for him, or Coach Joe's personality works for him, where maybe Harson's wouldn't in a certain instance. It's it can be both. It can be one or the other, and, and there's not one way that works. Just because Nick's way works to the extent that it has doesn't mean that other ways don't work. So I, my point in that was just that the way that he has been handling things and the way that I know that he will handle things, obviously, I believe is going to allow them to have success if he's given a fair shot. Okay. Go, real quick, Tyler. So you said something that was kind of interesting when you, like, that I wasn't really expecting because I, like looking at the roster, I, I, the last thing I would have thought was that it would have been that – lacking, I guess, in, in terms of like depth in some areas, because you said in, in some specific areas, and I know like the receiving core, you get gutted in the offseason, but like, like you said, and like we brought beforehand, like there's Bama fans want to immediately just kind of shit on anything Auburn related, anything Harson related. And, and that's just because of the, the fandom. But again, it's nothing but like this very calm confidence that you see and, and outside of AL.com freaking out and their writers like every other day about them. It seems like things are headed, at least headed in the right direction, but it, you guys, when you say lack of, um, you don't have like the guys, right? Like at, at certain positions, which specifically do you mean? Because when I'm looking at the roster, I, I was going to ask you, I thought the back seven might be the best back seven in the SEC, that the, the secondary might be the best in the SEC. You got all five offensive linemen coming back and maybe the best uh, running back in the SEC or maybe country. Where are they lacking specifically? I agree with you. I, I don't think, I don't know if the secondary is going to be the best in the league, but I mean, I would put them, I would put them in the conversation with LSU, with Alabama, with Texas A&M, some of the other teams that are, are going to have really good secondaries. I think Florida is going to be good. Um, I would put their linebackers up against anybody in the league, especially the, mm-hmm. the inside linebackers. If we're talking about – I don't really include edge defenders when I talk about linebackers. I talk more guys that are playing off the ball because uh, I think your outside linebacker, edge defensive, defensive end is essentially all become the same guy these, this day and age. So that's not really what I referenced. So I'm not, I'm not talking about Will Anderson when, when I'm talking about group of linebackers. Right. But I, I think the first position that you look at is offensive tackle. Um, there's a lack of depth there. There has been a lack of quality play there probably since Greg Robinson left. Uh, you got really fortunate by pulling in a transfer from UMass who ended up having two really solid yeah. years and I believe got him drafted. And your best your best offensive lineman across the board last year was an Akron transfer. Now, that's that's not a knock on Brandon Council. It's not trying to put right. him down, but that should never happen. That that should literally not take place. It just that that shouldn't be a real thing. And the, the tackle position is one. Now, some of that's been injuries. I think if Troxel's healthy, he might be okay. 
Um, but we, we've seen guys struggle the last few years, and it doesn't look like that there's really the next one in line that's just waiting to bust out and be a great player. Um, the middle of the defensive line is a big concern of mine. The fact that you're going to rely on a Kansas transfer, a UAB transfer, to get meaningful reps, and you're having to move a whatever you wanted to call him, flex, quarterback, tight end, H-back, fun guy, yeah. nose guard, D-tackle. I mean, that's, that's where he belongs. That's where he'll make yeah. money one day. But, I mean, J.J. Pegues has got to – he's got to be a player for them this year. Yeah. Because they don't – I mean, losing losing Truesdale, Newkirk, not being around, like that that hurts a little bit. But those guys weren't – they weren't impact guys. Right. And, I, you know, the scary part about that, that position in particular is go back to the last decade and look at some of the guys that they've had there. Yeah. And I mean, they've, they've had monsters at that position. And they're just – they're not guys that can really ruin your game plan at that spot. Um, you mentioned a youth at receiver. I, I do think guys like Capers might be okay. Um, I think Canyon has a chance to be solid. I think the Demetrius Robertson ad was good. But he, he, I don't think he's a – you know, 12, 15 target a game guy mm. that's going to go out there and abuse anybody you put on him. So um, now one position that it would be fair to say could be right in between where I'm discussing things and you're discussing things could be tied in because they do have bodies. But I mean, I'll be damned if we know what they really are. Right. I mean, I, I, if you've seen them, let me know. I'd love <laughs> to go study the tape because I haven't seen anything that I can take from the past and utilize it for what is going to be expected now. And right. talking to Coach Harson, it's a position that they have to have. And Luke Deal might be great. Fromm might be really good. I think the freshman from Texas is going to be a kid that can contribute one day that probably as the season goes on, they'll use him a little bit more. But we don't really know what that position is. So I think offensive tackle, offensive line depth, interior of the defensive line, and wide receiver would be positions that I would probably look at and say, yeah, you have, you have real problems after you get past a guy or two, and you may have real problems with the guys that you're forced to start right off the bat. And even though you mentioned running back, like Tank, I, I mean, I put Tank up against any running back in college football. Mm -hmm. But then you then you go to Worm, and it's probably going to be a walk-on from Hewitt Trustful that's getting right. the most carries after that, Sean Jackson. So I, I just I think that it's, it doesn't always have to – it can be a position where you have one guy that looks really good, but then after that, what's left and and that's when i think the other parts of it become a little bit problematic so we haven't talked about bo nix yet obviously you know a lot of hype on him coming in being a legacy being a, a high recruit i'm not going to write him off yet i mean he's had he's on his third oc in three years mm -hmm. uh he's been a lot better at home he's 10 and 2 at home 15 to 1 td to int ratio on the road he's been pretty abysmal this is his third year. Um, what do you expect out of him? Do you think he's on a short leash? I know they brought Finley in from LSU. Not sure how he's looked yet in camp, but but what's just uh, what do you what do you think about that position overall right now for Auburn? I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not ready to say that it, he just can't get it done or won't get it done or it's not the guy. I think he'll get every opportunity. I think he'll get every chance, and he deserves that. He's the most experienced quarterback on the roster, mm -hmm. and I, and I do think there are parts of his game that have to be appreciated toughness, willingness, um, you know, he, he, he has energy. And, you know, McElroy made a really good point on our show late last week. We did a Auburn film session breakdown. We spent a full hour on it. And I had, I had never kind of thought about it this way, but he, he brought it up and it was really interesting when, when I heard it. 
And he said that some of the things that you mentioned, you know, being a legacy, growing up a diehard Auburn fan, dad wearing the same number at the same position, at the same school, you know, all of that, that maybe that works against him a little bit, that there's so much determination and there's so much, mm. there's such a willingness to want to do more to just help it be great because it's all you've ever wanted that he overextends a lot. And maybe that's why he plays the position like a linebacker at times. And you can't be a quarterback and do that. And, you know, some of the things that I see, I feel like he struggles to find his calm. And you can take the most fiery guys, whether it's Baker Mayfield, Brett Favre, I mean, any of these guys, they may do something after a play or after a score, but then when the next series or next play begins, they it's back to being the general of the football team. And I think he struggles with that at times. I think the body language is poor. Um, I think the communication in a lot of different ways is not where it needs to be. Some of that I've witnessed firsthand on the sideline. Some of it I've seen on TV. Some of it I've heard about. Um, so if he's going to be successful, if he's going to have a, a better year than he's had the last two years, which if Auburn's going to win eight, nine games, I think he has to, right. then I think they're the most important part in all of this is he has to have a willingness to accept the coaching that's being placed in front of him. And you have a, a really strong quarterback brain power on that staff. Yeah. With Harson having played it, coached it, coordinated it, Bobo played it, coached it, coordinated it. You bring in your OC from Boise, you make him an analyst. He's been around it, coached it, designed game plans. There's a lot of quarterback prowess on that staff. So there's enough knowledge to go around to be able to help you get it right. You have to be willing to take that coaching. You have to be willing to say, I have got to stop doing this. I've got to change this part of my game. And it has to be an emphasis. And there has to be a willing way that you're determined to go about doing that. And that's going to go further than just Mike Bobo saying, hey, I think you should do this. Or, hey, this is your check down. It's got to go a lot further than that. And that means probably tearing away some of the exterior shell of your personality and, and finding someone else in there that can lead and that can communicate and that can talk in different ways that might be uncomfortable. But that's, I mean, that, that's part of being a leader is, yeah. is doing things that you don't like and doing them in a way that you don't always like. So the talent, listen, the talent and the ability is there. I mean, I see him make a couple of throws every now and then. I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. There, there are just not a lot of guys nationally that can do that. And then to take big hits and get right back up, you know, to dive for first downs, to dive at the goal line, all those kind of things. I think there are, there are, are tools that those coaches can take advantage of, whether it's mobility, toughness, arm strength, and sort of morph them into what they want their plan to be each week. But none of that matters if there's not a willingness to get things right in every aspect of playing the position. And the most important part may be understanding how to, how to be. And see, that's the thing. I think with quarterback, I don't think you can play quarterback. I think you have to be a quarterback. Like, I think you can be a defensive end or you can be a corner, but I don't think you, like, I think you can play corner or play defensive end. I don't think you have to be that like every minute of every day. I think you have to be a quarterback Like you can play running back and then go, kind of go do whatever you want. Like we had running backs that were super social. We had guys that just basically went to their apartment and we didn't see them until the next practice or the next workout. 
Like you don't have to be a running back all the time. You can just play running back. You have to be a quarterback every minute of every day. And I think that's the part that has to come around or it, it might not change that much. Interesting. We got two more questions for you. Um, one, and we'll, we'll, let's let's do over under for for Auburn, and then I want to go more broad based because um, I'm 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 kind of concerned on where things are headed with college football in general, with just some of the uh, the conference realignment stuff. But the over under this year, uh, as we have seen it latest, is six and a half for Auburn. Um, We've been we've been going through every team and kind of making our picks. What do you what do you make of that? Would you go over or under for Auburn this year on six and a half? And, and real quick, um, also, is there is there a game on the schedule that stands out that's like maybe not a must win, but like something that could turn this like turn the schedule either like you know in your favor or maybe you know things fall off the rails. Like I look at that Ole Miss game and they get a bye week. Carson's like thirteen and three all time with a bye week beforehand. And it, the Ole Miss is coming off like their fourth straight game. Is, is there a certain game you have circled that, that is more impactful than, than the rest? I, mean, I would probably just say Penn State because I think that that does a few different things. I think, number one, that, that makes a lot of your fan base happy. It gets a lot of them excited. And I think it would just build mega confidence inside that facility. Um, now – I think that there are probably a handful of those games. I think I know exactly what you mean. Like, I think it was probably 12, 13, 14, maybe even like 10 through 13. That Mississippi State game was kind of that game. It was early yeah. in the year, and it, it was like week two, three, four, and the team that won that game would go on and, and challenge for the West, win nine or 10 or 11 games, and the team that lost, it's like scratching to get bowl eligible. Um, I don't really know if they have that game, but I just, I mean, I, I would, I would go to Penn state. Cause I think if you get that one, you have a chance to settle down the next week against Georgia state. And mm-hmm. then you got to go to a place that you hadn't won since I was playing there. You and, were there. You know, it's, it's been a long time since they've won in Baton Rouge. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to really get that mad. If they go down to Georgia, they go down to Alabama. But if you got Penn State and you were competitive with LSU and you lost to Georgia and you could get Arkansas and then take a week off and kind of regroup, I think you'd be in a really good spot. I still think the team would have a lot of confidence. I think there are a lot of things to play for. I think there's a lot of things to be happy about. And then you kind of push through and try to fight your way through the rest of the season. Ole Miss is going to be tough because they're going to be able to score. And a is going to be tough for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think the state offense is going to be better. And I think South Carolina is going to be kind of sneaky good this year and Bama's mm-hmm. Bama. So I, you probably need, because of some of those areas that we've talked about with depth, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, maybe even the entire running back room, youth at receiver, you probably need to get the one we're talking about early. Like inject that confidence early, ride that wave of emotion, maybe get LSU or Georgia, and then kind of see how things play out after that. So if there was one, I would say if you go to Happy Valley at night in a whiteout on ABC and you get that game, then that's going to lead to a lot more better things than if you were to lose that one and then win at LSU. Yeah, that's a good point. Before we let you go, um, what are your thoughts on where this whole SEC thing is headed? Um, You know, they, they, they announced that Oklahoma and Texas are joining the conference. A lot of people outside the SEC, obviously, a little up in arms about that. Do you, do you think it ends there and that's just the end goal? Or do you think this is the setup to a much larger plan overall? I think it could end there. Um, 
I think there are, I think there are two massive questions with college football right now. I think the first one is kind of what you're alluding to. Where, where does all this end? Where does the dust settle, so to speak? And none of us have that answer. We, we don't know. We, we don't even know the year. It'd be different if all these rights ended in the same year and all these media rights. And we could say, okay, you know, 2032, we're right. going to have this thing figured out. And we're going to, this. that's it. We don't know when we're all going to sit here and say, okay, this is what college football is going to look like for the next 10, 15 years. We have no idea. Is it 2025? Is it 2040? Is it 2032, 2035? We, have, we don't know. So I think because of that, that's question number one is when are, when is everything just going to settle? And, and I guess be enough really like when's everybody going to be happy with what they have right. and just want to want to push forward. And then I think the second biggest question, it, it doesn't really pertain to the SEC, but just as college football in general is what does, how can the next level of football find a sustainable way to generate revenue moving forward? So if it's the, if it's the group of five, if it's the next level, if it's the, the next group, if it's division six, whatever we want to call them, old football, I don't know, whatever that is, whoever's left from the power five that doesn't get pulled up to join the varsity. And then the current group of five now, can they go create a playoff system that can consistently generate revenue and they can sustain right. that revenue? Because you think about where we're going and go back to all those people that told you that I was a lunatic for saying that FCS football should stay in the spring and think about these mega conferences that we're going to. If you're going to pay your school 70 plus million dollars a year, you know what the first thing that I'm going to tell those schools is? Guess who we're playing? Each other. Right. We ain't going out and playing Tennessee Chattanooga and we ain't going out and playing Citadel. And we ain't going out and playing Alabama A&M. There's too much damn money going around. So we want the reason we're making this move is to keep it for ourselves. That's why we're doing this. We're, right. there's no, we don't, we're tired of sharing all this revenue with people who have nothing to do with how we crown our national champion. This is why we're getting to where we're getting. And that's on a little bit of a smaller scale, but I think that happens. And I'm not saying Greg Stanky's going to play all SEC games, but let's not pretend like these non-con games are not on their way out. I mean, hell, Stanford right. doesn't play a G5 team this year. They play all power five team. And I'm not, I don't know if that was necessarily intentional to the point of, hey, we're tired of writing those checks. But I do think that's where we're going. And if we expand to 12, I don't think people are going to look at it as, oh, let's make our schedule as light as possible so maybe we can sneak in. I think it's going to be we need to play as many difficult teams as possible to try to boost our schedule to make sure that if we're even close, we're not going to be counted out because we played a weaker schedule. And then I think, too, when once the dust settles and everybody knows where they are, well, when your rights come around again the next time, there aren't going to be many ways that you can increase your ask. Well, what's one way you know you're going to be able to? Make your inventory better. And how do you make your inventory better? You play more conference games. I mean, does ESPN or Fox or Hulu or YouTube TV – do they want to see Alabama play Mercer or do they want to see him play Texas and Oklahoma and LSU and Georgia and Florida and South Carolina and even Vanderbilt? They want to see those games. So that's going to be the next in line after the mega super duper wonderful big conferences are created. When the rights come back around, they're going to say, Oh no, 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 no. 
we want to go up another $250 because we're going to add another conference game to that. And they're going to say, yes, we will gladly pay you that because that means we get X number more of games that are going to bring X more number of eyeballs and we can sell X more number of advertising on that game. And this is just going to continue walking up that ladder. So I think those are my two big questions for the future of college football because, I mean, look at last year. You had Coastal, Liberty, BYU, Louisiana, App State. I, I would have watched it, especially yeah. if it's separate from everything else. If that's its own playoff, I'd have been dialed into that thing. I don't want to see it. Now, I'm not saying it's going to do $28 million for the championship game, but people are going to watch it, and can they find a Probably way? more competitive than the championship game. I mean, no, I, absolutely. and if you went to 16 or whatever it is, that's what everybody says they want anyway. So yeah. give them what they want, and maybe people will root for that. So there are a ton of concerns. There are a ton of questions about where we end up, where we're going, how we get there, what do we do if and when we get there with certain things. But for me – those are kind of my two big questions that I don't really know when we'll even get the answers to of how football is going to look like when my kids are, you know, rooting for it one day and they actually know what they're watching. Right. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Um, one, I, I really just, it's going to hit hard as soon as, like if that goes into a, like effect as soon as Saban is gone, that's family fans might be in for a rude awakening for those uh, 84 years, but um, hate the hat. Don't like the shirt necessarily, but loved having you on, man. Really appreciate it. Um, like plug the new morning show because it's been doing really well with with GMAC. And and also like I just want to shout out your Twitter one more time because as as like funny as you are and, and like you do a good job on TV, the amount of information you pump out, not even just for college football, for like all sports, like when when you know when sports Twitter is like going off of this NBA, NFL, all that kind of stuff, it's incredible. So give them a follow on there and, and tell them about the morning show as well. I appreciate that. Uh, McElroy and Kublik in the morning. It's uh, 94.5 if you're in Birmingham, 103.9 FM, 730 AM if you're in North Alabama. The easiest way is jocksfm.com. You can get the Jocks app, search J WJOX in your app store. It's free. Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, jocksfm.com has them. McElroy and Kublik in the morning. Uh, we podcast every hour of the show and the interviews. So uh, please like, rate, review those and Try to tune in when you get a chance. It, it has been literally all college football, and that has yeah. been the best part about it. I mean, we did it. We did the first week. We did. I think it was a Wednesday show, and we go to the office, and McElroy says, "Well, what do you what do you think?" And I just kind of laughed. He's like, "What? What's is something wrong?" I said, "You realize we just did a show the day after the Major League Baseball All Star Game, and the NBA Finals Game Six is tonight." And we didn't make a single mention of either one. <laughs> and he said, and he looks at me and he said, it's a beautiful thing. And I said, yes, it is. Because, I mean, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, it's not like we were yeah. sitting around thinking about what to talk about. I mean, it was rapid fire college football the entire time. So we've been blessed with the offseason that just keeps on giving, as you yeah, guys know. Like yep. Usually we have broken down every team 7,000 ways, every matchup, every week, every possible injury scenario. And we hadn't had to do that this year. I mean, it's almost yeah. every day we get something legitimate. Like usually if we get one kid in the portal, we're going to make like three days out of content out of that. And now we're getting massive <laughs> college football news. It feels like every day. So I've been, we've been thankful for that as well, but it's been a blast. Hopefully you guys and, and everybody that's tuned in will come give us a try. Absolutely, Definitely. man. Well, we appreciate it again. We'll have to do it again during the season and um, we'll talk to you soon, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Keep hating me. I always appreciate that.
and uh, <laughs> we'll do it again one day. Sounds good, Cole. Thanks.